What up, though? Welcome to the Fat Boy MMA Podcast, where we talk about everything combat sports, but mainly MMA. If you want to hear a couple regular MMA fans talk about MMA history, notable fighters, up-and-coming fighters, and everything in between, then this is the podcast for you. Now, I should warn you, we're not professionals, but we are big fans of combat sports. Now, if that sits good with you, grab a beverage, sit back, relax, and let's go. Hey everybody, welcome to the Fat Boy MMA Podcast. I am your host, DC, and of course I got my co-host here with me, Lot. Hey, how's it going, everyone? So, on today's podcast, this is a really good one, <laughs> right? So, this one is going to be a part of our Fallen Goat series, and um, the particular person we're going to be talking about today, Locke was absolutely adamant that this person be at the very top of the list of our Fallen Goat series. So I'm going to let him tell you who we're talking about today and uh, anything he wants to say real quick about this person before we actually kind of get into some awards and accolades. So when you first hit me with the idea about the Fallen Goat, this was the first fighter that came to mind and I almost thought like you could almost name it like his book or his, you know what I mean? Like the story of his life, you could almost call it that. But, uh, mm-hmm. so first one I thought of for the goat series, fallen goat series was BJ Penn. Mm-hmm. And honestly, it hurts to even include the fallen in front of goat. <laughs> yeah. I mean, we'll get there, but yeah. what a lot of new fans and I think, this is why I thought it was important to cover him because you know, a lot of what your idea of what we're going to do with this show is something where whether you've been a, you know, a fan for a long time, if you're a casual fan or if you're new to MMA, you know, that this could be something you could listen to. And I think a lot of casuals and new fans, they hear BJ Penn, they look at the record and they just don't get it. Right. And what I think a lot of people have to understand is that, BJ Penn is possibly the first MMA fighter that was even mentioned in, you know, as we didn't say goat back then, but as the greatest or the greatest pound for pound or greatest ever, he was kind of one of the originals to even be mentioned in that conversation. So that conversation we love to have now kind of started with BJ Penn. Yeah, definitely a pioneer. And I think part of that is because, um, you know, Back in those days, um, MMA was a very different beast for one, as you mentioned, the record and everything like that. That wasn't quite as important as you being a warrior, right? Doing things like testing yourself against much bigger men and moving around in weight classes and doing so many things like that. I mean, back in the day, 
all of those guys for the multiple weight class, unless you were too big to drop down. But if you were a small guy, you always fought up also, right? So um, I definitely agree. And I know we have quite a few things that we're going to hit that actually goes into ironing out why or, you know, what makes us say that about him? What makes him a pioneer? Some of those things. So I'm going to um, go ahead and actually get into some awards and recognition. And that'll be kind of the beginning of explaining why. And then, of course, we'll get into just talking about him in general, uh, talking about some notable things that happen, notable fights and everything like that. So um, first of all, um, BJ Penn nicknamed the prodigy and he got that nickname for a reason. Um, he started in Brazilian Jiu Jitsu back in 1997 and um, it was not a very popular thing yet. You know, it wasn't like, you know, today where, you know, the local uh, Brazilian Jiu Jitsu school in your town probably has a really good affiliation and the person can actually trace their belt all the way back to, you know, either uh, uh, Carlos or, or Helio, right? Um, it was, you're lucky if there's a BJJ school within like, you know, a few hundred miles of you, right? <laughs> you know? So, um, one thing that happened was he became... Just, he, just real quick on that, like, yep. we're, we're from Michigan. Remember driving to like Coldwater, Michigan to just go take, not even BJJ, like a grappling clinic in Michigan, you know, like with Dan Severn stuff. So, even just combat wrestling, like, you could, you would just take what you could get. Exactly, exactly. So, um, he started training under Health Gracie back in 97, and then he ended up moving on to uh, Novo Uniao and training under Andre Pedaneris, and he got his black belt in 2000. So, it took him three years to get his black belt. And even in today's time, no, it wouldn't be the fastest on record. It was at that time, but in today's time, that would still be a huge accomplishment when you're talking about a legitimate black belt, right? Not just, you know, Joe Blow with no lineage who throws out black belts left and right. You know, you don't have to compete. You don't have to do anything. You show up. It's almost like a participation trophy, right? Um, that wasn't the case. And just to roll and, and you know, prove his skills, uh, he also became the first American black belt to win a, a large BJJ championship, but it was kind of a twofold thing. He became the first non-Brazilian in the black belt division to win the World Jiu-Jitsu Championship, which was held in uh, Rio de Janeiro, Brazil in 2000. So that was one of those things. Not only did he just become a black belt, he also won, you know, depending on how you want to argue first or second biggest stage at that point, you know, you have the, the worlds, you have the, um, Abu Dhabi and, uh, there's one other one. It's like the big, big name in jujitsu. Yep. The Mundials. And, correct. And he performed real well at those. Yeah. I think he bronzed, but like as a, as a Brown belt, like just brand new, like been training for two years and was, you know, meddling in the Mundials. So, 
Exactly. Um, so yeah, he was smashing through these highly prestigious tournaments. Right. And, and what's important and notable about that once again is a non-Brazilian, right? Um, so this was a big thing back then. Um, he also, uh, at the America. time had the record America. <laughs> he also at the time, uh, back in 2001 had the record for fastest KO in UFC history. And that was against Kyle Uno. It was 11 seconds. Um, he won fighter of the year in 2004. That was the same year he ended up uh, capturing the welterweight title from Matt Hughes. He also beat uh, Dwayne Bang Ludwig and uh, Rodrigo Gracie. So he had a really good year that year. And he was the second fighter to win a, a belt in two different weight classes in the UFC. The first, of course, being Randy Couture. But uh, as far as BJ, the first one was against Hughes in 2004. And the second one was, I believe, right after they brought uh, 55 back. And I, I think in that one, he beat Joe Daddy Stevenson, if I'm not mistaken. Um, so and then another big thing, he actually moved up to lightweight and uh, fought Machida in K1. Uh, which was, you know, a, a really big deal. Once again, as we talked about back in those days, uh, you know, uh, uh, smaller guys would move up all the time. You know, BJ Penn is about 5'8". He's probably a true 55er. And Machida is like 6'1". He's definitely a true 205er. He can he can drop down to 85. He, he's somewhere between 85 and 205. But he's like a legit solid 205er. And especially, you know, back then he was knocking heads off. And this was before he even went on to become the UFC light heavyweight champion. Um, and so that, you know, that was a huge feat. And then one one last thing that was really huge that was notable was um, he had a, another sub 30 second KO. And that one was of Matt Hughes in 2010 so in detroit i was there (laughs) just a little bit about uh you know kind of uh you know what what in his career some of the things that happened that kind of put him on a, a trajectory that would you know make him worthy of the name prodigy or the reason why we would talk about him as a goat, a person, and of course, this Fallen Goat series is about people that at different points in time were considered a goat, the goat, whatever. And, and as Locke mentioned, even if it wasn't going by that name, that title, the goat, saying that that person was the best, who could beat them? They're the best you've seen. They're the best of an era, whatever it is. And these are the some of the things that kind of uh, put us on that mark. So. From your standpoint, what's some of the other things, other notable things that, that kind of separates BJ Penn from the pack? <clears throat> well, what I think is important to note that a lot of those things you mentioned, people, some of that we take for granted nowadays, you know, moving up or down a weight class, multiple, mm-hmm. you know, champion in multiple divisions and stuff like that. But he, he was a pioneer to that stuff when it wasn't a thing. Yes. Um, 
And uh, one of the things I did want to mention, I didn't want to interrupt while you're in the middle of running down the accolades, but he was the second guy to ever become a two-division champ, and he probably should have been the first because he kind of got screwed in the first Jens Pulver fight, so that should have been mm-hmm. the lightweight champ. And then when he beat you know, Hughes in 2004, that should have been the second, and he would have been the first one to do it. But I digress. I'm just saying. <laughs> Listen, he got screwed in two title fights, but we'll get into the, the second one later. So go ahead. <laughs> but, but another thing that BJ Penn is a pioneer of that is huge and it's important to fighters nowadays is he was one of the first people to tell the UFC, fuck off. I'll go fight where I want and I'm going to do my own thing and you're not going to control my career. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, you know, one of the things, of course, as we know, part of him leaving originally was when a that 55 division kind of was, you know, going downhill. And I believe he left right before they got rid of it. He was either right before or right after. But, uh, you know, he went on to fight in other organizations. And that's, you know, one of the ways he was able to uh, to fight uh, a Machida. But, yeah, it was one of those things where, you know, you want to be free. You want to fight the best guys and everything like that. And especially for the smaller guys, uh, a lot of people may not know this, but, uh, you know, Japan was huge. And it wasn't clear cut the way it is today where UFC is clearly number one. Back in these days, Pride was like a very formidable opponent to the UFC and a lot of it's kind of bridges that came off of Pride, which I feel like K1 is one of those. Definitely. Um, and another thing that, one of the things that originally made me a BJ Penn fan, that is something that we take for granted now, is when he comes in and we hear he's coming, you know, and you hear it's BJ Penn, he's the prodigy, he's, you know, this jujitsu phenom, you know, crazy leg dexterity. Yeah. You know, he's making Brazilians look silly. And then he comes in and he comes in with hands, you know, I mean, mm-hmm. his first three fights were all finishes, you know, the Kaluno at the time was the fastest one. And I was a huge fan of that. Cause I grew up as a grappler, but, um, you know, I, I, I did anything I could, you know, we pick up, you know, um, karate lessons up at the community center or boxing lessons at the Y, just whatever we could, you know, you you know, could learn. Mm-hmm. And I loved seeing BJ Penn, which is something that Chuck also went on to do is take a solid grappling base and build that around being able to grow as a striker because mm-hmm. you don't have to be afraid of some of the things that some of these high level strikers have to worry about, you know, yeah. Look, we, we've seen now, Style Bender is amazing. He could do crazy things, but he has to be aware that you could take him down and finish him. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Especially dealing with heavier opponents. And we saw that with him in the uh, Jan fight. Yeah. And of course, with BJ, it's the same thing. People were not just taking BJ down at 55. When he went to 70 and everything like that, it's bigger guys. You know, you're you're dealing with a lot more. But to your point, even then, especially in the early days, he was able to use some of the dexterity of different things not to be held 
you know, on the ground so that he could keep it standing and use his boxing. And it was a different type of uh, grappling that people hadn't seen at the time, you know. So, Mm -hmm. um, you know, when you're looking at Matt Hughes, who's just shooting power doubles and, you know, seeing BJ Penn bounce around on one leg, like all across the cage, you know, Mm -hmm. and not be able to get taken down by at that time was one of the, the best wrestlers we'd seen out there. It, it was crazy to behold, but because he could do that, he could really loosen up with his hands, and that's mm-hmm. where he was able to get his real damage done. Because BJ grew up as a boxing fan; he patterned his boxing style after Mike Tyson. He's a Tyson fan. Mm-hmm. He likes to get in, get in close, throw like jabs, and work the body. You know, or not jabs. Uh, mm-hmm. he likes to throw hooks, get in tight. You know, work the body and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. But there had been a guy that had used to train jujitsu that moved to Hawaii and he was like putting out flyers looking for people to train jujitsu with just cause he was trying to get back at it. And BJ's dad was like, well, yeah, my son and his friends, they just box in the backyard all the time. They'd probably, mm-hmm. you know, do that. And that's how he got introduced to jujitsu. And he obviously excelled at it, but he technically comes from a boxing base anyways. Yeah. Plus, you know, I mean, Growing up in the 80s and 90s, I mean, there's only two fighters that you pretty much were a super fan of. Bruce Lee and Mike Tyson. That was it. Those those were the two, right? And it's not that there were not other great people, but those were the names of the 80s and 90s, right? Um, so, yeah, it makes sense. And, you know... If you were a fighter, those were one of the two people that you were patterned after. And um, as you mentioned with him, uh, his grappling and everything like that, um, one, the balance. He had crazy balance. So to your point, um, even going back to, so I became a fan. Actually, if you remember I mentioned, I didn't start watching the UFC until right around the time that Zufa took over. Around that 2002 type of time period so some of those very early bj fan bj pan fights i watched after the fact i didn't watch them at the time mm-hmm. <clears throat> i believe the first bj pan fight that i watched at the time would have been matt sarah um and so in that fight you know sarah being a grappler not necessarily a wrestler in the in the, in the sense of matt hughes but still if you remember that fight he nonstop kept trying to take, uh, you know, double leg, single leg, trying to take BJ Penn down. And every time it would end up with BJ Penn with one foot on the ground, hopping around the cages, he's trying to take him down. Right. So that balance, but also dexterity, you know, a couple of times uh, Matt Sarah get him up against the cage and he throw a knee. Right. And one of the things that I think if, 10th planet jiu-jitsu was a thing back during bj penn's reign i think he would have been able to become and maintain being a double champion because the amount of flexibility that he had in his ankles hips knees everything like that is a large part of what 10th planet jiu-jitsu is built upon but I don't think he fully had the style for that. So, for example, I think about uh, Greasegate, which I want to get into a little bit in a minute. But I think about things like Greasegate and everything like that. And what if 
BJ Penn really understood butterfly guard and really could play that and use the leverage to dump a, a, a you know, a GSP, stuff like that. You know, there's so many things that I think of where the level of skill that he had and what he was able to do with his body, if you take some of today's formula and sprinkle it on that, he still would be one of the, uh, like, he still would be one of the specimens that if he was younger and he's the same person and you sprinkle some of that new stuff on him, he could do it. There's not a lot of fighters you can say about that. Something about them, body type, stance, something wouldn't work with today's formula. Uh, some uh the new, like, offensive rubber guard stuff, too? Yep. Would it work real well for him? Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. De- definitely. Um, I sent you that uh, 10th Planet uh tiktok earlier didn't i yes yes i i, I sent a, a really big heart back and then i copied the link and sent it to two more people <laughs> yeah so you, like you're a 10th planet jiu-jitsu fanboy yeah absolutely absolutely they the the gracies are not the reason why i wanted to do brazilian jiu-jitsu it was a hundred percent eddie bravo and what I saw with 10th Planet, and it was just amazing to me. And unfortunately, although I have sent other people to a local 10th Planet school, I have still never trained 10th Planet, although I've trained jiu-jitsu. And it's usually, um, most of the places I've trained have usually been uh, Machado lineage, uh, which are great schools, by the way. No knock to them. It's literally just a completely different style that 10th Planet has definitely but yeah that seemed like it would have been a natural fit like his bj style of doing things a little bit differently that would have been a perfect fit at the time yep he could have met eddie bravo smoked some weed you you know it goes after that yeah you know (laughs) talk about aliens you know how (laughs) you know how it goes so now i know um one of the things that um that you uh touched on in conversation and wanted to touch on about BJ Penn's background is some of uh, what he did with um, what's the name of those brothers the uh, oh the uh, Marinovich yeah 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 so I, I would love for you to go ahead and touch on uh, some of that and then of course I got a couple questions that I like to ask to kind of you know get into uh, dig a little bit deeper into some of it yeah, so so Marvin Moretovic, he's a strength and conditioning coach, like a controversial strength and conditioning coach. So mm-hmm. he's he's a football player, college, you know, went college and pro. And, like, he was this kid that he was a dude, like, he pushed his, his kid so hard that he, like, broke him. Mm-hmm. You know, like, he was a son that notoriously like, never had a Big Mac. Like, he just forced him to just be, like, this perfect workout machine his whole life. And at some point, like, the, you know, kid couldn't just do with it. So, you know this guy's going to push you. If you'll break his kid, he'll for sure break you. Um, And BJ, as talented as he was, natural talent, you know, and he's got this kind of warrior spirit. You know, he's just a scrapper, you know, that just scrap mentality. And... But he was notoriously a little bit lazy. Now, mm-hmm. not lazy, right. and that's that's fucked up. Like, I'm calling BJ Penn lazy. You know what I mean? Like, he obviously had the work ethic. He obviously puts the time in the gym. But 
he liked the fighting and the training and the stuff like mm-hmm. that. Like he didn't love the 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 workout, the strength and conditioning side. And when he got with the Marinovat brother, they uh they ran him through some crazy routines. And that's when you seen like the best BJ Penn that he's ever been because he still mm-hmm. had that talent level, but he was jacked. He was in shape. He was explosive. Mm-hmm. You know, like. BJ Penn, he used to throw good combos and could choke you out. All of a sudden, he's mm-hmm. out there throwing, like, flying knees, you know, and exploding right. across the cage. And he was never a juice guy. Like, he was always that good. He just needed someone to bring, you know what I mean, that out of him. But ultimately, the problem, just like it would with everybody else, it worked him too hard, so we only worked with him for a couple fights. But it was two of the best fights BJ ever had, so... It was um, the Kenny Florian fight and the Diego Sanchez mm-hmm. fights. Yeah, and he looked spectacular, especially the shape he came in was phenomenal for those fights. And to your point, um, and, and just to kind of touch further on what you were touching on by lazy or whatever, you have certain fighters, um, and it's usually very, very talented fighters, right? that they don't have to go all out in their training and everything like that to be at the top of the heat. And they usually hate training, meaning the strength and condition, everything like that. But if you're talking about just grappling, just boxing or whatever, going rounds, they'll do that. So one of my favorite boxers, James Tony, was well known for that. James Tony, and you know, people may not, understand this especially if they didn't follow his career and you know watch him going all the way from middleweight to uh to heavyweight james tony was one of the greatest like skilled smarts intelligent boxers that you would see in the ring with movement where he could just stand right in front of him right in front of you with no foot movement almost and you couldn't hit him and he would hit you and knock you out right but James Tony, especially as the years went on, more and more and more, he was known for he doesn't train other than boxing, right? He spars. That's it. He wants to spar. That is his whole workout for the camp. And that causes two issues. One, you're not in the kind of shape that you should be in to be at the very, very top of the heap. But you're so talented you're just good enough to lose to the top guys that if you were actually on a true strength and conditioning program, you would beat, right? And I think that's one of the areas that BJ Penn fell into because even once he, you know, was at, you know, 170 fighting the GSPs and and people like that, I still think if he was in a different type of shape, especially for Greasegate, he still could have pulled off that win, right? Because you're not all of a sudden exhausted and can't even stand up or anything like that, right? Um, So I think it's really important to touch on that because I think that was one of the things that changed BJ Penn from still being in the GOAT conversation to being in a falling GOAT conversation because I think had he kept up that regiment, a lot of those losses that we see wouldn't be losses on his record. 
because B- BJ Penn has always been a fighter. Mm-hmm. He's not really an athlete. In those two fights, mm-hmm. when he was working with Marinovich, we've seen what he could look like with both, you know? Right. But then you've seen, like, he tried to work with Dolce, and they butted heads. Like, you know, he doesn't work well with, you know. Yeah, I think Dolce's a different, you know, Dolce's different, too. Um, for one, Dolce's one of those people that I like, and... it. I kind of like and dislike at the same time. And I'm a Dolce fan, but you know, he's one of those people that I do understand for some people, how it can be, he can be hard to work with because it's, this is what it is, is my way or no way. But if my system works, I also understand why he looks at it like that. And when you're trying to hold a record, right, they're trying to hold a record in fighting He's trying to hold a record on the scale and what he can deliver to the scale in the ring. And when you start doing things outside of what I want you to do and my name on it, it hurts my product. Right. Um, But I also don't think he mixes in as much as the Marinoviches did the real strength and conditioning. He's more of the nutrition guy. Right to make sure you're on weight and you're on weight healthy without being dehydrated and drained and everything like that. And it sounded like to me, they had something else going on behind the scenes that, that, and I've listened to the stories, but still seems like there was something else, whether directly or indirectly going on behind the scenes. There was the reason why they butted heads that they're really not talking about. No, I, I definitely agree. And I guess when I say Dolce, I understand what you're saying. Like, you know, one's the strength and conditioning, one's the, the nutritionist side. But what I'm talking about is there these guys that I want them to are holding them accountable to acting like a professional, you know? Yes. And they're strong yeah. personalities. And yes. that's what he doesn't deal with. So they're different jobs. So in a perfect world, you know, BJ Penn, he's got Dolce at his nutritionist because Dolce, like he says, what, 3%, right? So no matter how much you make. You know, whether you're making three and three or a million dollars, I get 3%. You know, it's kind of how the mob works. They just take it right off the top and shut. Um, but, you know, you have that and then you had the Marinovich. Who knows how good he ultimately could have been? Yeah, no, I, I totally agree there. And, um, you know, it, it may be one of those things, you know, how they say the different cultures, the, the, the lifestyle is different. Like I remember watching a a YouTuber and he was talking about moving from California to Arizona. And, you know, they're like, you know, right by each other. Right. And, but he was talking about how different it was and how California was really get up and go. And Arizona was really laid back where certain things that were like a time of the essence thing, from what the business he was doing, it wasn't like that when he went to Arizona. So part of what BJ Penn can be, you know, Hawaii seems to be a very laid back, relaxed lifestyle, right? So it's it's very hard. And I think he almost needed to, for training camps, for every training camp, just leave Hawaii, right? Go, you know, and this may be <clears throat> why he was doing good also when he was with Novo Uniao 
you know, you go and you, you're up in Brazil and, you know, you, you're at the training facility there and it's a bunch of young killers coming up and all they do, you know, most of them are really, really poor and all they do is kind of <clears throat> train, recover and eat, you know, and there's not, you're not out, although of course they're surfing in Brazil, you know, but these guys that are trying to make it out, it's a different hunger that they have, right? Um, but I want to do one thing. I want to touch on some notable fights that he had. And then I want to ask you about your favorite BJ Penn fight. Um, so notable fights. Um, one of the notable fights he had very early on was fighting Den Thomas. Uh, it was his first fight. I'm a big Den Thomas fan. For people who don't know Den Thomas, he's actually still in the industry. He's a trainer, and uh, he's also UFC commentator. He does like the um, in-between analysis, kind of like what uh, Letterman does in, in boxing. And he also, I believe he's still on, um, what was that, Dana White's looking for a fight? I think it was him, Matt Sarah, and Den Thomas. But uh, he was um, he was Tyron Woodley's one of his head coaches um, until you know Tyron went over to boxing. So, but for people that don't know, he was actually a, a really good fighter back in the day for some of the smaller guys. Uh, you know, fifty five. So when BJ Penn fought Den Thomas, BJ Penn was one and zero. I think this was his second fight. I'm sorry, B, uh, BJ was one and zero. Den Thomas was 12 and one. Mm -hmm. So that's huge. Uh, when BJ fought Kyle Uno, this, this is the one that we talked about. That was that fastest knockout. He actually fought him twice, but BJ was two and oh, Kyle Uno was 13 and four, right? Understanding once again, why this person would be a prodigy. You, you don't have people nowadays that come and have, you know, one fight coming to the UFC and they're beating guys with, you know, 13, 14, 15 fights. Uh, he fought Matt Serra. Uh, I think they were pretty even. He was four and one. Matt Serra was six and one. Um, and Matt Serra, for a lot of people that don't know, was also a really good fighter, but he was a product of he had to fight at 170. That was the lowest weight class. And he's not a big guy at all. And I think a 55 or even a 45 well, would have been much better for him. He's a very big guy now. <laughs> you mean round. <laughs> kind of like us. Yeah. <laughs> I should be careful. But, um, I can see Matt Sarah somewhere. <laughs> right. Uh, he's aware. He he's aware. Yeah, we... We know he will. Uh, he will fight a a a a person talking junk on the internet. <laughs> uh, so then BJ Penn um, fought Takanori Gomi. BJ was five and one. Takanori Gomi was fourteen and one, and a huge name over in Japan. Um, fought Matt Hughes. This was the craziest, you know, uh, difference in fights. Uh, BJ was six and one. Matt Hughes was thirty five and three. Right. Uh, so that was a big one. Uh, I mentioned Dwayne Bain Ludwig earlier. BJ was seven and one. Dwayne Bain Ludwig was uh, 10 and two. And for people that may not know who he is, 
He's uh, a trainer also now most known for training uh, TJ Dillashaw and coming up with his own style of kind of Muay Thai kickboxing that uh, mixes some of the Dutch with uh, some Muay Thai striking and footwork that he calls Bang Muay Thai. And uh, when he was 8-1, he also fought uh, Rodrigo Gracie, that was 5-0. and So these are some of the notable fights. Now, he had other fights with bigger names later that didn't, you know, quite go his way. Uh, but these were some of the early, very notable fights that put him on the board as far as being that person that you talk about in that GOAT status, in that prodigy status and everything like that. But other names, Sean Shirt, uh, GSP, Diego Sanchez, Frankie Edgar, uh, um, uh, what's your guy, uh, didn't he fight, um, uh, didn't he end up fighting Nick Diaz? He fought Nick Diaz, John Fitch. Yeah, Nick Diaz, yeah, Fitch, so, I mean, he fought the who's who kind of in MMA, and as we mentioned, you know, he was one of those true guys that would fight you anywhere, anytime, name a place, and he probably fights you for a beer. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, Dana White has a quote about BJ Penn where he said, uh, BJ Penn will fight you for free in your backyard tomorrow because you said you're better than him. Yes. And, uh, you know, that says a lot about, you know, him fighting and shit. But, yeah. no, I think it's it important to go through those fights, though, because you talk about, you know, the, the fights down the road, you know. But that run, when he first came out the gate, all those names, those guys were huge names. That was a murderer's row that he ran through of fighters and of all weights, you know. Um, And that was something that got him a lot of credibility when he just said, told the UFC, no, I don't have to fight whoever you want. I can just go, I can go do my own thing wherever I want. And the rest of the world was like, fuck yeah, you can, BJ. Come over here and fight Leota Machida. Come to Japan and fight the Gracies, you know. And he just slowly got bigger and bigger. <laughs> yeah, no, absolutely. And we never and call him a Gracie killer, but, I mean, you know, he's got him yeah. a couple. That's because, you know, you only get that name once and Sakuraba took it. <laughs> but uh, that rolls into the next thing, which is, um, you know, a two-part kind of question. Your favorite BJ Penn fight, but then also – even if it's not your favorite, one of the most notable fights or a particular fight that you want to speak on for some reason. Okay, so I guess probably my my favorite BJ Penn fight is probably the Joe Daddy fight. Um, I'm a big Joe Daddy fan, mm-hmm. but he was like so juiced up. Like they, he was just calling Usman. No. He was just calling Usman the CEO of EPO or whatever. BJ split him open, and he was like dripping syrup out of his forehead and shit. It was like someone opened a thing of maple, like thick Canadian maple syrup and shit. And uh, camera tricks. But that was they brought back the lightweight division. you know to the ufc so that was yes you know the for the new title which as Mm -hmm. we covered before i'm a big fan of i think it's possibly the best division of like all time and that was you you know kind of the bringing it back so i'd say the joe daddy fight's probably my favorite fight you know um 
the Kenny Florian, the Diego fights, they were dominant performances. Like I said, he looked great with, uh, you know, the Marinovich, but I, I think that's one. You know, say it was Sean Shirk. It was those big, uh, those big muscle wrestlers. Watching BJ beat him up was was pretty sweet. So. Yeah, Sean Shirk had, uh, you know, people talk about TRT Vitor. I don't think TRT Vitor had anything on a prime Sean Shirk. That is one of the most muscular physiques I've ever seen step in any kind of, you know, mixed martial arts ring. Like he was a specimen with a lot of supplements. <laughs> so for me, I would say um, one of the two Matt Hughes fights, well, he fought him three times. One of the two wins. Yeah. Um, and it's mainly because I don't like Matt Hughes, <laughs> right? And what's what's weird is I was a Matt Hughes fan all the way up until the Ultimate Fighter. And this is one of the things, back in the day, you really didn't get a glimpse into who or how these fighters were. Yeah, everybody was a little bit of an asshole in interviews, but, you know, it's the it's the fight hype, right? But you didn't get it to understand who they really were. Once I saw Matt Hughes on, on um, The Ultimate Fighter, I really just didn't like him. I didn't know he was that big of a, a, a douche. Now, of course, it's, um, it's sad what happened to him, and I know he still hasn't made a full recovery. And from what I watched most recently, he's probably recovered to the extent that he's going to recover. So, you know, um, you know, that's a very unfortunate situation, but I would be lying if I, if I didn't say, you know, I love seeing, you know, BJ Penn, not Matt Hughes out in like, you know, a minute in, in, in the first round or choking him out. You know, those were highlights of BJ Penn's career to me. Two very special fights. Well, and you know, I'm also a fan of BJ licking the fucking uh, the the blood off the gloves. You know, that's that's a special kind of crazy. Um, but you know this uh this run where he fought. So we seen he, he fought bigger dudes. He fought Rodrigo at middleweight, and he fought Machida. You know, but that was a chubby young Machida, but. This draw he had with John Fitch, this is where the lack of, you know, the athletic commitment to it, he looked great against John Fitch and was beating him up and then ultimately just was not big enough. And when John Fitch kept just kept coming and kept wrestling, he was able to manhandle him. And that went on to happen against uh, Nick and Rory. So he just was too small for 170. Like, he would come out and beat the piss out of those guys, but he just couldn't maintain that against this new breed of bigger dudes, you know? Yeah, and that's what's important to note, the new 170, because it, was, it wasn't it was just small guys that was juiced up. It was legit bigger guys. Yeah. That's a part of the evolution that kind of happened in these weight classes. <clears throat> um, But, so, you know, that first, that first GSP fight, though... It's a split decision. That's a tough call. That's one of those fights. That goes the other way. That's huge for BJ's career. Yeah, so I'm going to touch on the John Fitch, and then I'll, I'll touch on that. But um, And, you know, once again, um, 
for people that may be newer listeners that may not even know who John Fitch is because he hasn't been in the UFC in quite a while. And I forget, I think he's over at World Series of Fighting or something like that. And a lot of especially newer MMA people, they pretty much only watch the UFC and maybe some Bellator, right? So um, John Fitch was really good. He was out of uh, AKA. I'm not sure if he's still over there or not. But uh, he was out of AKA, which at the time was a, a pretty big gym. You know, nowadays you would know that as the gym that uh, Daniel Cormier and uh, Khabib fought out of. But back when John Fitch was in his heyday, there was no Khabib or Daniel Cormier. They existed, but they were not the names of AKA. It was um, it was John Fitch. It was uh, was was uh, was the the. Fraggle Rock. They uh, on the uh, Ultimate Fighter. They kept calling him Fraggle Rock. Um, Koscheck. Yeah, Koscheck. It was, uh, of course, the the heavyweight uh, champion um, Kane. It was um, all D one wrestlers. Name? Yeah, it was. Uh, what's his name? The um, one eighty five ended up losing to Whiteman. I think took his title. Um, uh. I'll think of his name in a minute. Uh, the Luke, model what is guy. it, Luke? Luke Rockhole. Rockhole. Yeah, Luke Rockhole. Yeah, so these were kind of the names coming up back in those days at AKA. This was before the DCs and Khabib's, but huge gym, and he was, you know, probably the second biggest name in that gym, but also in the UFC, he pretty me- he pretty much beat everybody not named GSP. Right up until that point of fighting BJ Penn, he was beating everybody. And uh, if I'm not mistaken, he had had two cracks um, at the the title, you know. But um, you know, he he couldn't get over that that GSP hump. And of course, as we know, the story has it, you know, after a loss and the end of his contract, they gave him the boot letting him know that we'll just cut you and bring you back for less money because he didn't want to do something, you know, that they wanted him to do. Now, these are his words, not mine. (laughs) Right. So, uh, but just saying that to say this was really big for BJ Penn to be at 170 and fighting a guy like this. And this isn't a small guy, you know, six foot, a full 170 frame. And he was a um, like a, a, a slimmer guy. He easily could have fought up at 185, right? So that's the type of person that at that point BJ Penn's going up against. And um, I totally agree on what you said about the first GSP, um, the first GSP fight. Um, but more so than that one, split decision definitely could have changed the trajectory of things. I'm more interested in the second fight, the Grease Gate, the one that changed the rules in the UFC forever. So, you want me to touch on that one first, or would you like to touch on him first? Because that's the one I want to talk about. Well, I mean, and 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 let me say this: winning that one would have been a ridiculous. He would have also been on, you know, looking at what played out. That would have made a six fight winning streak had he won that in his next couple but also i literally think everything would have been different from for him 
at 70 and 50 fight and 55. I'm sorry. If Greasegate doesn't happen and he wins that fight. Right. So, so here's the problem with that fight is, is for one, it shouldn't be a loss. That should be a no contest. It should be a loss to GSP, but GSP has more than one loss that's not on his record, but we won't go there. <laughs> um, but either way, it, it, that shouldn't be a loss. But it was also the reason that that's, you know, that's a gross kind of cheating because he really threw BJ a beating that day and he's a bigger, stronger yes. guy. And, uh, you know, fighters don't have a lot of those in them, you know, yes. like, you know, uh, Regan threw in the t- you know, threw in the corner, the towel in the corner and BJ's not that guy. And, uh, that's dirty, you know, to cheat where you're really cheating and using it to punish someone, which, I mean, you're trying to win a fight. It is what it is. I mean, cheating is cheating, but yeah, it, uh, he, he cheated and he really threw him a fucking beating and that's a dirty trick, man. He was scared. Yeah. And so for the people that don't know what we're talking about, so back in the day in the UFC, your uh, own corner would be able to grease your face and stuff like that the same way it is in boxing. But what happened was um, because the first fight was so close, now, uh, of course, GSP argues he had nothing to do with this, didn't know, didn't understand what was going on. Believe him or don't believe him. What happened was GSP's corner, every time in between the corner, as they're wiping him down and everything like that, they're also rubbing grease on his body, Vaseline, whatever you want to call it, right? So now, as BJ Penn is getting into situations where he may want to grapple or grab GSP, he's just falling or sliding right off of him. He can't grab him. And the more he tries... It's wearing him down. He's getting more and more tired, and he's fighting a bigger, stronger guy. And obviously, based on this particular fight, grappling was a part of the game plan in this, but now all of a sudden, you can't do it. And so what happened after this came out, they went back and looked at video. It was like, oh, yes, they did put grease on his body. What we see now in the UFC is you come to the box before you get into a cage and it's a designated person that works for the UFC that's not a part of your camp that applies grease to your face and nowhere else. And only that cut man, even in between rounds or anything like that, can place anything on you. No one in your camp is allowed to use or have any kind of grease. So literally... This changed the rule in the UFC on to be something else. Yeah. Fucking cheater. And that's why I, and that's why I have a hard time getting down with GSP because, uh, you know, he made a living out of throwing my, my guy's beatings. You know? <laughs> Listen, I have a love-hate relationship with GSP like most people. Okay, so I got about three more questions. I want to run through before we uh, before we um, kind of wrap this up. Okay. so first question is um, just in general. And I actually I'll combine these two questions to make it easier. Um, Just in general, what are your thoughts on his retirement? And did he hang him up too early, too late or just on time? 
Well, is he officially retired? I know, like, the UFC He's cut never him. officially retired like a Gracie. Yeah. But for what we know, he hasn't fought since, what, 2019? Yeah. So I say too late. And I was a guy that, you know, I always said, you, you got a right to fight, however, especially when you're BJ Penn, you earned it. So I was giving him, you know, some wiggle room. Um, And, and a lot of it was like, hey, you know, why are you fighting Yair, Yair Rodriguez? You know, don't fight young, hungry, hungry dudes. But when yeah. when Ryan Hall tapped him out mm-hmm. quick, right? And and I know, I mean, Ryan Hall is good. Mm-hmm. I'm not talking shit about yeah. Ty, Ryan Hall, but I'm saying BJ's the tapper outer, not the tapper out e. So that was hard to deal with. It, it was just way too long, you know. Like Dennis Seaver, that was a they were throwing him a fight that he should win, and he lost that fight, you know. Yeah. Um. So he definitely, I think, hung him up too late. But yeah, I, so, I, I think he will always fight again. He'll be one of those guys that, like Gordy Howe, that fought like in every decade for like seven decades or something. <laughs> so I definitely think he should have hung him up earlier. And the only thing I can say is there's no time that he should lose to Clay Guida. Yeah. And I like Clay Guida. But when you're talking about skills and levels, BJ Penn and Clay Guida should be a nice amount of gap apart, right? Um, And to go out, his last 10 fights, he went 1-8-1, right? So that tells you, and some of those, as you pointed out, were beatings. And as I've mentioned many times, and I don't know when this one will come out, but you'll hear this over and over from me. I love fights. I love watching fights. I love knockouts. I love submissions. I watch broken arms. I I love all of that. What I don't love, I don't like is fighters stand too long and taking beatings because all I think about, especially the great ones, all I think about is you should be able to live with all of your faculties to be able to talk to your grandkids and your great grandkids and taking some of these beatings that you don't have to take is taking either years off of your life or quality years off of your life. Right. And that's the only reason why I don't like seeing these guys, you know, really get way past their prime. And now they're really just taking beatings for what I feel like is no reason. No, I agree a hundred percent. It's hard to watch. And I, I, I just credit to getting older. Cause I used to not care about mm-hmm. that, but watching people get their head smashed in is something that I struggled to, you know, you know, watch guys yeah. really get to catch a beating. Yeah. So last question that I kind of have up here, um, specifically. And then if you have anything else that we didn't touch on, of course we can touch on that. But if there was one last fight, offered to BJ before he retired, right? And he officially hung him, hung him up. This is the last BJ Penn fight you could watch. What fight would it be? Who would you see him fighting or want to see him fighting? Man, I can't think of a single small guy that's fighting right now mm-hmm. that I could see him winning, you know? Like I'm not saying he could be a retired guy. I'm not saying he can't, you know, beat any guy. I'm saying not the kind of guys I'd want him to watch fight. Um, mm-hmm. 
I would say if we could pull a guy out of reto- retirement and we're going to make it fa- fair, I got two. Well, let me see. You can't say Matt Hughes because he can't walk or talk. I mean, he can, but you get what I'm saying. You're, you're going. He's not a full faculty. You're going to hell. You can't say that. No, I didn't mean it like that. Like he doesn't have full faculties, you know. So we can't put him in there. How about uh, Fireball Kid? Okay. BJ okay. and Tech, you know, uh, Gomi kind of did the same thing. Had some wars, mm-hmm. stuck around a little long, you know. So yep. they're both in that range. Let me see. Mm-hmm. As, as I look at Gomi stuff, he finished. Now, he won his last fight against Melvin Goulard, but, Mm -hmm. you know, he lost six in a row before that, Mm -hmm. you know, and seven out of eight or whatever. So, yeah, I would say uh, the Fireball Kid and BJ Penn, you know, we'll sell it on Triller or whatever. That's more of a Bellator move, I think, actually. (laughs) Yeah, definitely. That's a a Bellator Bellator fight. Now, see, you went old and I went old also. I think Jen's Povert, and this is why I feel that. In most of BJ's other fights, he he fought a guy twice. Everything was very definitive, right? Mm-hmm. But he's one and one against Jen's, and you just can't leave it that way. So I figured they have to have a third fight. And finally settle everything once and for all. And I believe Jens is somewhere out there still training, by the way. Uh, oh, I'm sure. Well, he'll probably train forever. Like, Yeah. He, he's never retired. Yeah. Never. Yeah. <laughs> okay. So those were the questions that I had. I know, um, I know kind of from the things that you were looking into, uh, for this, um, did you have any other things that you wanted to throw out there and touch on before we wrapped it up? Yeah. So uh, the Frankie Edgar fight, the first one. Yes. So that's still, you know, we talked about the GSP fight, the Grease Gate, right? Yes. So he comes out, UFC rolls the lightweight division back out, and he looks great, right? You know, mm-hmm. he's on that streak. Then GSP cheats, throws him a fucking mm-hmm. beating. Right? Maybe yes. that was a win. Bam. Then he comes back two more title defenses, right? Mm-hmm. Then he gets in this first Frankie Edgar fight. He looks like a world beater. Yes. That first Frankie Edgar fight is one of the worst decisions in the history mm-hmm. of the UFC, of MMA mm-hmm. ever. And I'm not saying because Frankie Edgar won. Mm-hmm. I can see a scorecard where Frankie Edgar wins. Mm-hmm. I don't have a problem with that. What I have a problem is how they came to it, you know? So they came to a unanimous decision that he won. All three fucking mm-hmm. judges with three completely different cards and shit. And and it was atrocious, man. Yeah, and I, I remember that. I remember being upset by that. I remember thinking that BJ won, and all I remembered was the next fight BJ is really going to show him. But... The next fight was close, but I think somewhere between those two fights, uh, Frankie took what was left of BJ's soul. And I don't know if it was the movement. I don't know if, you know, 
I don't know if he had his Denny Glover moment where he was just like, you know, this little guy bouncing all around the cage and he was just like, I'm too old for this shit. <laughs> like, I, I don't know what it was, but, and it's not that he didn't look good in that fight. You could tell something was different in my opinion. And at that point in time, he was never the same, you know, BJ after that. Yeah, he um definitely. Frank Edgar won the second fight for sure. Mm-hmm. He beat his ass, but fights. We we talk about this a lot. I think in the in the goat series when you look back on records and stuff, and and you never mm-hmm. know which fight is that fight at the time because even when it happened to Chuck, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like, well, yeah, you get knocked out by Rampage, but you you know you beat Vanderlei, you lose to Jardine, mm-hmm. but it's a close one. You think ah. And next thing you know, it falls apart. That's how that BJ is, like that Frankie Edgar. So GSP cheats, but then mm-hmm. you get a couple more wins, you know? Yeah. And then Frankie Edgar, terrible judging. And then after that, <clears throat> that fight, that's not the fight that took his soul. Well, it kind of was. Like the fighting was never the same. After that, he was never the same after that fight, but not because of the beating he took. He took right. the beating in the next fight, but... Mm-hmm. Like there was just something yeah. where he just uh, he just didn't have it no more and he was done because he never yeah. looked the same after the first Frankie Edgar fight. But in so I looked at the fight metrics because I was thinking maybe I'm just fanboying on it. Mm-hmm. But if you look at the fight metrics, BJ Penn outlanded Frankie Edgar three seventy three to two sixty three in the fight. And you know he definitely landed the harder shots. Right, because that's his Frankie specialty. Eggers, Frankie Edgar's never been known for being a power puncher. He's a volume guy, and he catches you at angles. Right. And, like, in the first round, he outlanded him 94 to 34. Mm-hmm. And in the second <laughs> round, he outlanded him 110 to 28. Mm-hmm. So, one of the judges, Douglas Crosby... He gave Frankie all five rounds. He scored it 50 to 45. All five rounds for Frankie. Now, like I said, you can come up with a fight card. The third and the fifth, you know, Frankie might have had, you know, and then the fourth one could go either way. So you could come up with a card where it says that, but Frankie just won every round. Get out of here, man. And that fight. Like that was that was the last time I seen BJ Penn look good in a fight, and he got robbed of it. Now he doesn't he doesn't look good in parking lot fights. <laughs> we won't touch on that one. <laughs> yeah, but I think uh, you know I think Frankie Edgar, um, he's from I think he's a Italian kid from Jersey, right? Call him a kid now. He's not even a kid. Yeah, he's probably but 40. You get what I'm saying. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But uh, you know, he probably he probably uh made a couple phone calls just like, hey, you know, you know what we gotta do. Hey. It's <laughs> like, oh, we can make it happen. <laughs> Something. Uh but that was that was rough. And uh, like I said, I could see you scoring Frankie win in that fight, but not fifty to forty five. Yeah. No, I, I definitely I definitely can agree and you know, you never know when it's that fight for whatever reason where a person is just done, you know, whether they decide in that fight or something happens afterwards. But um, that definitely seemed to be the series that did it for uh, BJ Penn. But um, other than that, you know, 
again, just to touch on some of what we talked about, you know, early on, you know, from being a Brazilian jiu-jitsu phenom to coming into MMA with a storm, blitzing guys that already had a lot of fights, big names, everything like that in MMA, uh, winning the title, being the second person to win a title in two different uh, weight classes, something that's still a big achievement that people you know, reach for, uh, today, uh, to, you know, you know, moving up and fighting big guys at light heavyweight, middleweight, you know, pretty much will fight you anywhere. A lot of that is a part of what the reason why BJ Penn is in this conversation. And a lot of these things, especially kind of the, um, the mix between boxing and jujitsu, um, I think he pioneered, you had jujitsu guys with hands, but usually they only use one or the other. Uh, BJ Penn was one of the first guys in mixed martial arts to really put it together and to your point, Locke, really use his jujitsu and his dexterity also to keep the fight on the feet so he can knock you out. But then if he needed to, he could take you to the ground. So this is the reason why these are some of the reasons why BJ Penn was in this conversation. And if you, uh, you know, haven't watched some of those early fights, you should go back YouTube fight pass, wherever you got to go and watch some of those early BJ Penn fights. Any last words from you lot? Yeah. Um, so yeah, I think BJ Penn is the original. He's like the OG of fallen goats, but legitimately he was one of the first, people where we could start having that conversation a pound for pound great yeah and um in my world he knocks out matt hughes in detroit at the palace i was there you know it's in pontiac whatever and uh same thing same thing whatever for for everybody that's not in michigan it's detroit it's the same thing (laughs) and then he retires 16 7 and 1 and he retires and then the next debacle the next seven losses the oh oh seven and one never happened never happened yeah if that happened this would be a much different conversation yes and i think you would have more people still even putting bj in the goat conversation right because then you start arguing this grease gate and the split decisions and all of a sudden that becomes a way bigger factor in the conversation Exactly. Just touching on that specifically, you're talking about turn around, possibly Frankie Edgar fight. GSP, you know, won a split decision, so we know that can go either way. But just if we take out the grease gate, right, we take those two out. Those are huge for what becomes the span of what he's able to do. And you only have, a, a you know, a couple losses in there. And, you know, one of those being a big guy like Machida. So talking about a whole different, uh, whole different landscape. Yep. That's my world. (laughs) All right, y'all. Well, that welcome, that wraps up another Fat Boy MMA podcast. Come back and listen later. That wraps up another Fat Boy MMA podcast. If you have a topic for us, please email us at fatboymma55 at gmail.com or reach out to us on social media by going to links.fatboymma.com. That's links, 
www.fatboymma.com. Thank you for listening.